Welcome back to Bestowing the Brush, friends. You've tuned into the podcast that helps you and your homeschool flourish with drawing lessons and art instruction. I have today a very knowledgeable and passionate guest with me, Maria Coriel Martin. Maria works in the tradition of traveling artists as naturalists and educators. Since 2005, she has focused on painting polar and glaciated regions where she's collaborated with scientific teams. In the field, she sketches with ink and watercolor and collects multimedia recordings to build her body of work. She does presentations and workshops for audiences of all ages to cultivate observation, scientific inquiry, and environmental awareness. She currently lives in Port Townsend in the Pacific Northwest, and that's about 40 minutes north of Seattle, she tells me. And she curates at Expeditionary Art on Instagram, and you can also find her there at Art Toolkit. And we have a little tidbit about this part of her company in the last part of the episode, so please stay tuned at the end. Um, her, Those are all online resources for field sketching equipment and studying nature with watercolor. So I'm very excited to have you on, Maria. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dallas. I'm really happy to be here and to have the chance to talk with you. I think we just share a lot of common passions for art and nature and uh, education. And uh, we both we both have families, too. And I think raising raising little kids, you really want to help share the world with them. Absolutely. And I think there's no better way than to paint and observe to get our hands dirty a little bit in this big world of ours. I wanted to start out asking about just kind of your belief, like you believe that art is a tool for exploration, for observation, for scientific inquiry. And I saw that after graduation, you were awarded a fellowship to travel around the world for one year to pursue a project called Ties to the Land, Exploring Remote Regions Through Art. And you spent two summers with the Juno Icefield Research Program. Can you just tell us a little bit what it's like to work in this field? I would assume that really not every day is the same, right? <laughs> oh, Dallas, you've just covered a lot of years of my life right there. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'll back up a moment to the idea of um, art as a tool. And that's something really core to my own process and also to the company I run, Art Toolkit, and want to encourage in others is that we often feel that art is this capital A needing to be done right and correctly. And I really believe in art as a tool versus a talent. It's something we can practice and it's a tool for exploring, for meditating, for seeing things, for scientific inquiry, communication, connections. And with that, as a tool, it's all about practice, not perfection. And it's all about the process, going out and making the art as a tool to start to engage. And so uh, I believe that art should really just be accessible to everybody and letting go of that idea of perfection is really important to me. Yes, I so agree with that. I think that will be very encouraging for the moms out there, even with like their own artistic practice, if you will, not capital A, of course, um, but even just how how they take that energy into their school lessons or their lifestyle in their day with homeschooling. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I'm in the field, my goals for my journaling, my sketching are around quantity versus quality. So I go into the field and I'll have all my papers and paints and materials. And I give myself the goal of, okay, I'm going to make three to five sketches a day. And I don't care if those are quick gesture sketches done super fast, or if I get invested into like a multi-hour painting. I don't care which one, but it's about just giving myself the opportunity and the permission to engage with it and to make the art. So that, that that's something that helps me is just letting go of that perfection and say, I'm going to go make something. And I get a gold star for putting any paint or marks on paper. <laughs> I think that's a very healthy goal, <laughs> especially um, when you have kids with you along the way, um, mm-hmm. which I know we don't always, but... Um, you know, we really do have limited time if we are raising a family. So I think that really takes the pressure off in a lot of ways. It's yeah. just you you are just like seeing this as your own personal growth. So mm-hmm. it's not so much about end product. Yeah, personal growth and that seeing and noticing and, and how it fits into sort of your broader goals of whether it's science or poetry or just that 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 art as a tool. And um, so in with my field projects, you know, days are always different. It really depends on the project and where I am. I've been pretty hooked on the polar regions, which was inspired in part by my scientist father. Um, He uh, is now a retired uh, oceanographer, but specialized in what's called remote sensing oceanography. So studying sea ice using satellite data and spent a lot of time um, up in the Arctic when I was younger on ships. And then more recently, was able to help manage um, some programs with NASA, uh, one called IceBridge, where they um, were bridging gaps in satellite data with aircraft. So they'd fly out of Greenland or out over Antarctica to collect data, which was really cool. And I, I had sort of an early fascination with ice. And in the field with scientists, you know, anytime I work in the field, I, <laughs> I like to think about just the expedition ethics of if I'm in the field being responsible, and there's this idea of looking for things that need doing and taking care of them, that idea of being capable. And so wherever I am and whatever I do, I try to approach it as being prepared as possible, whether that's first aid training, having appropriate supplies, trying to be strong and helpful. Because when you're on an expedition in a remote region, that's usually with a small team and everyone is really integral in helping keep a camp running or a small site running where we just need to be helpful to each other. Wow. Yeah. That's extremely important to just be like multifaceted with your knowledge base for something like that. You just really don't know what would come up in the field. And you what, know, I'm, 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 uh-huh. oh, I was just going to ask what I'm curious, like how, by your estimation, how many jobs are there in fields like this, like what you do, or like, um, you know, these like field scientists and sketchers, or maybe just people that can go on these expeditions? <laughs> oh, that's a great question, Dallas. And one thing that I like to encourage people to do is to make up their own job title. And so with expeditionary art, you know, I was inspired by um, these old explorer journals and artists such as Edward Wilson, who was down in Antarctica with um, Robert Falcon Scott in the early 1900s. Um, and uh, 
So I'd say more so there are opportunities for artists to act as outreach, to help facilitate outreach and education with scientists. It's often something that takes looking for artist residencies or building your own independent relationship. So I won't say it's an easy job, but if you're really passionate about wanting to get into the field, you know, especially if you want to try and work with a scientist, it can be possible. But I like to emphasize too that not all expeditions need to be really great big endeavors. And in my work and wanting to encourage other people thinking about your own small, even backyard expeditions and on that idea of being prepared and capable, you know, it might just mean that you're ready for the day and some of the unexpected where you're prepared for the weather, for sketching outside and you've got, you know, your sit pads and your sun hat and water, you've got plenty of extra snacks and just thinking through, you know, you're not only preparing yourself for, sketching outdoors, <laughs> but for keeping everybody happy and alive. Um, yeah, and alive. You know, I've always got a first aid kit with me. I've always got loads of snacks for my five-year-old daughter if she's out with me or her friends and extra supplies. So that idea of an expedition ethic you can bring to, you know, your own backyard or park explorations to go look at things a little more deeply. Well, I love that you said kind of create your own job title because I think we're really at a tipping point here in in our culture or just in society at large where we've become so technologically advanced, we are so connected, but there are new demands. And so we really need to start thinking more entrepreneurially and meeting meeting the new demands of technology and exploration and um, you know, ecology and maintaining and stewarding ecosystems and things like that. So I just, that's, I think, a little piece of an encouragement for those of you out there listening that are wondering, you know, where your education is going to take you one day. I think it's kind of an open door at this point. What do you think? Well, that's something I love. And one reason that I really like to encourage science and bringing the arts into those STEM disciplines to create STEAM, because you can engage with science on so many different ways and becoming just literate around it and appreciating the environment and encouraging stewardship is you don't have to be in the physical sciences. You can be on a communication side or a marketing side or Uh, you know, you could be a book writer. There's just so many different ways to engage, but having art be this point of connection, I think is really special. I agree. I agree so much there. Well, you being in this field, you have developed something called Art Toolkit, and we've spoken a little bit about that. Um, But basically, these are little packages of supplies and things that are sold separately that you sell. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this line of products or how you think that they could benefit specifically even homeschoolers too? Sure, sure. And Dallas, I'll start first with just a little bit of background. So um, with my expeditionary art projects, um, those began right after I graduated from college, which was in um, Carleton College, Northfield, Minnesota. So I had a real nice soft spot for the Midwest. And Every time I travel or go on an expedition, I love to tinker with my art supplies. And there's the goal for me of keeping things portable, compact, really high quality and accessible. And so, as I mentioned, I'm always tinkering. And in about 2010 or 11, I was invited to go to 
northeastern Greenland with a walrus biologist uh, to spend a few weeks on a remote island outside the um, Northeast Greenland National Park. And um, on this little island where, you know, it's, I, I get pretty, you could walk around the island in about half an hour, was a spot where walruses like to pull out to sunbathe and they would go feed and dive down in the water eating up all the clams and they'd come up and lie on this warm sand and molt. And so <laughs> the science team I was with was tagging these walruses to identify them and take tissue samples. And so Dallas, you have to imagine we spent a lot of time sneaking up on walruses. <laughs> so I'm going to describe to you how you sneak up on a walrus and, and don't try this without Thanks a professional. Too. Yeah. So walruses, seals, pinnipeds, um, they are afraid of vertical figures. So one thing we would do is first over all our nice down warm stuff, we put on these like machine suits, you know, machinist all in one kind of coveralls. So we'd get ready to crawl on the ground. And this meant I'd have my sketchbook and my watercolor kit and my audio recorder all kind of stuffed inside my jacket and my full zip suit. And then I would get down and we'd start on our hands and knees and we'd you know, be creeping up to the walruses and we'd make sure we were, you know, um, downwind so they wouldn't smell us. And pretty soon we'd be commando crawling, trying to sneak up even closer. And then we'd lay there and the scientists uh, would make notes. And I, I could describe to you a little bit the <laughs> technique <laughs> tissue samples, but that's sort of another story. Uh, and I would try to pull out my supplies to sketch. And it was a little awkward if like my watercolor palette went down one leg or down my jacket and my sketchbook down another and kind of managing all the gear. And so that particular project really inspired me to think about how can I make my art kit, my watercolor sketchbook and supplies all in one, in an all-in-one zipper case. So I always can have it with me and I don't have to wrangle all these different things. I just want it ready to go. So I came back from Greenland and began tinkering with um, what developed into the pocket palette, which is this little business card sized watercolor palette um, that is part of the art toolkit line of supplies. And um, these custom Cordura covers that I have sewn uh, for us in uh, by um, a shop in Seattle. And it is just that now, it's an all-in-one kit where you can carry a whole bunch of little watercolors in these little tiny palettes and all of your tools just to have at the ready. And, you know, you may have heard that the camera you have with you is the best camera. And I believe the same for an art kit. The kit you can have with you and ready to go is the one you're going to be using. That is amazing. That <laughs> I just love the background story too. Just thinking like the most extreme conditions that you could ever <laughs> think of sketching in. You have probably sketched in some of those conditions. And so I have no doubt that these are super high quality um, paint and brush packs. And um, I mean, they're so compact and so beautiful. You've just done a really good job and I cannot wait to get one. <laughs> Well, thank you. I mean, I've really tried to keep everything that we sell to my own high standards. And so, you know, for families and kids that I've worked with, such as, um, you know, kindergartners, I have a, a school I've worked with for a number of years, we've loved setting them up with the little tiny palettes and water brushes, because those, those are those brushes you can fill with water, squeeze a little water out. And with a little paper towel and a sketchbook and this little tiny palette, 
things are just super portable and, you know, you can set it up with a little simple pouch or buy one of our full kits, but it's just so compact that you can keep them in your backpack. You know, a kid can carry them. They're really lightweight or create your own set with multiples for a group outing um, just to make it easy. And that's one of my goals. I don't want supplies to hold people back. I want to empower and inspire everybody to go explore their worlds through art. Awesome. Well, speaking of kids, you have a little one yourself and a lot of the audience here that listens have children. And so I wondered, um, what's just one thing that you've learned about imparting these ideas to your child? And maybe you could tell us one thing that we could do today to help our kids cultivate this observation and scientific inquiry and this curiosity through the arts, but whatever they take on in their life. Oh, just one thing, Dallas. <laughs> only one. I'm sure uh, there's only one. <laughs> I'm going to give you two. Good. Um, because the first one is just model. Do it together. Make it something you can bond over in sitting and sketching together and letting go of your own fears of doing things perfectly, just to focus on that seeing together and the process together, practice, not perfection. And I think that as an educator, as a parent, as a family is, is just so valuable and just showing together that it's okay to make what might feel like a mistake. It's okay to experiment. And then you can ask questions together. So just modeling and, uh, and, and playing. Uh, the other one is something I use in my own teaching and with my daughter is in looking at, in approaching a kid making art, I always ask them the question first, what are you noticing? I don't look at their art at first. People can feel it's personal, self-conscious about it. But starting with the question, what are you noticing? Takes away, hey, you've made nice art. You've made, you know, that's a beautiful picture. I don't focus at all on the beauty of a picture. I focus on their attention, what they've noticed, and how they've applied skills, these tools. Hey, I like your shading. I like those shapes you've done. I like how you've added notes. And so those observations, keeping it focused on the process, I think is, is so important to build everyone's confidence with their journals and to really emphasize that practice. Maria, I think that's so great that you're talking about just that aspect of it, that noticing and that seeing even their own work, because, you know, I think that is a temptation that we fall into as parents. We want to like encourage and praise and say all these frivolous things, um, but instead just kind of slightly shifting our mindset on really the skills that we're building. And that's, you know, one thing I talk about on this podcast is Charlotte Mason. Obviously, that's kind of the homeschooling method that we use. And that's that's kind of really one thing that she really focused on with her, um, the subjects that she encouraged people to do, such as handiwork and drawing and taking a nature journal places, is really, you know, you're kind of only there to improve upon your own skill set. You're not there to compare with others. You're not there to puff up your ego or anything. It's like we're building a skill here. So 
I think that that really helps with kind of how you model it, like you said, to your kids. I agree so much, Dallas. And that question of what are you noticing often I find just is this open door to conversation of one, it's cool to see like what a kid might come up with, whether it's little details in a flower petal, I might not have noticed, especially if you're out with a group in one setting, everyone's going to have a little different perspective and to kind of share and celebrate that together. And um, yeah, just an invitation to connect and chat is, um, it's, is a really, really wonderful spot. Right. And those things you don't even need a sketchbook for. You just need your eyes. So Mm -hmm. I think those are great things to just do on a walk. If you don't have your stuff with you, if you're out for a hike or driving in the car, even, I mean, there's some really neat perspective changes there that you can kind of build that habit, I think, with just regular conversation, just keeping it in the back of your mind. Absolutely. Just the practice of seeing that's huge. Yeah. So much of what nature journaling is about too practicing yes. seeing things a little bit more deeply. Um, okay. So you told us one really awesome story about the walruses. Is that the plural for walrus? What is the plural word for walrus? <laughs> <laughs> Walruses. I've never heard walri, <laughs> although it's tempting to say. <laughs> you know. Oh, I just had to think about that for a second. But um, anyway, I just... I'm sure you have a whole backlog of stories that you could tell us. Is there anything else that really stands out to you that was a really neat experience or something maybe even that was life-changing or really shifted your focus? Um, Oh, that's a great question. And I'll share with you a little bit about one of my big inspirations, who um, is a friend of mine, a marine mammal biologist in Seattle named Dr. Kristen Lydra. And she first inspired me to visit Greenland uh, when I, after I met her in 2004. And for years, we thought, wow, wouldn't it be fun to do a project together where we could paint and I could join her in Greenland? And we finally were able to put together a project and receive funding in, uh, for me to join her in 2013 up in Northwest Greenland. And Kristen does some of the most remarkable research on narwhals and polar bears. And flying out in a helicopter over a hundred nautical miles over the sea ice, watching the ice change from um, the open water to the fragments to finally um, the, the more thick frozen ice and spotting narwhals from the air. And then we, we'd sneak up on them. So we'd, we'd look for a narwhal swimming in these big cracks called leads, and then we'd be able to land the helicopter. And narwhals can dive very deep. They generally take about 20 minutes and can dive over a mile deep. They'll resurface. So we'd unload equipment to um, observe them, and I'd get to sit out in the ice. Scientists at the time were making uh, acoustic recordings and wait for them to return. So we'd have to be very quiet. And sitting out just in the middle of the ice and the twinkling air from ice crystals and the quiet, unlike anything I've ever experienced, really highlighted to me both this beauty and the fragility of our world where this environment is starkly down it's down to these essentials and it can look like this big dead place of just ice but there's this rich life that flourishes there and is so you know dependent on our whole large our our global ecology and 
just it, it was really poignant to me to feel that and experience it in this in this environment that felt so distilled to just the sparkling ice and air and sunlight and um and then finally listening to the the blows of the narwhal as they surfaced wow i'm just imagining it like creating that picture in my mind of what that even would be like but i'm sure you have sketches from it i'm sure <laughs> But you you have that as your own possession now because you you were really there and you were really present with your noticing. And I, yeah. you will carry that with you forever, no matter what happens to your sketchbook. I feel really fortunate. And that's in part where I just feel so passionate about not only taking my own explorations, but wanting to inspire others. So it's just that that way of seeing is something I I cherish and want to share. That's amazing. Creation is just so vast. We, I don't think we've discovered a lot, even though we think we have. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big world out there. It but is. I wanted to ask you, um, so as you are kind of preparing materials for speaking to groups, what are some of the things that you think about as you go through that process and what kind of groups do you talk to? That's a great question. So I love working with people of all ages and, um, you know, in terms of presentations, whether it's sharing stories of art and science, I really enjoy bringing science into non-conventional science spaces like art galleries and then vice versa, bringing art into science spaces um, but one of my favorite things to do has been with kids where we take virtual expeditions together. So we do a presentation where we sketch along with some of my stories, say, about the Arctic so that the students have a chance to, you know, we look at a helicopter, sketch it, and then we imagine taking off in the helicopter with audio and recording of the helicopter going out and flying out over the sea ice. And that's something that families in this period especially uh, might enjoy doing is if you find some videos or um, slide presentations, you can use your nature journal as a tool to connect with them and to take in information. I find when I sketch and kids that I work with, um, it's a, a way to remember things more vividly, that note taking and practicing, seeing shapes, practicing sketching quickly, um, and the, those basic tools for observation, measuring, that then we'll take outside for some of our, our endeavors are now in this period of COVID. Um, kids at home can go and take out with their families and practice. Oh my goodness. That sounds so great. Just being in, you know, being a participant in a multimedia ordeal like that sounds to be so much fun. And I could see how you would just have a great time with that. I was wondering what the audio recordings were for, but that I mean, that really just adds another element to a talk that would really kind of cement that for people, I think. It does. It does. And I, I've been meaning to put more of them online. I've done a lot in person and <laughs> that might be a project as I like so many people have been very close to my home for the past you know, yeah. seven months. Right. You know, this just reminds me, okay, I don't know how much you know about me, but I've shared a little bit on Instagram that I used to work in the field of coffee. And I I think it's just, it's a dream of mine one day to 
go and be kind of like the sketching expeditionary art person alongside someone who's going to source their coffee for their coffee shop here or to eventually I would like to write a natural history book about different varietals of coffee in different coffee regions. It's just always been something that I've been very interested in and it's just a whole new world and a new ecosystem. And I remember taking a sketchbook with me to Honduras and I really do remember those things way more vividly had I not had that tool with me. Um, so you're just inspiring that you've, <laughs> you know, it's like inspiring that I can know that one day, you know, once I have a little more freedom in my life <laughs> yeah. with raising my little, after raising some little kids that I'd love to, you know, even travel with my family more often. That's not been so feasible as they're when they're little. So yeah, I think one day that could be in my future. I don't know. Maybe oh, you should pursue it. I love the idea it. of your natural history yeah. of coffee, of a, of a story and illustrated guide. I think that could be amazing. Yeah. But yeah, even just doing presentations, those are one thing I really liked doing when I was in the industry was just talking and educating people on what coffee is as an agricultural product. Mm -hmm. Not many people realize that it is. So to take them from like seed to cup where they drink it is it helps them understand why they want to pay for quality. So yeah. I just, I just imagine, you know, doing some multimedia productions on, on that process, but yeah, yeah, just yeah. I'm, I'm having ideas as we talk. And sharing those perspectives. I mean, that's why I love the art science is it's just different stories and different ways of seeing that you can bring together and enrich your overall understanding. And that's the same thing. You can look at a cup of coffee and you'll see it differently when you've got that, that background and appreciation and, um, and enrichment. Absolutely. Well, could you recommend one resource that you really like besides anything that you've created, what you've created is wonderful, but I wonder who is a mentor that you look up to that you think everyone should read or every, everyone should watch or listen to? Oh, I feel on the spot here. I've got a lot of mentors. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on Art Toolkit Instagram for the past couple of months, we have been featuring yes. some of my favorite books. Um that uh, are inspiring, um, you know, on the nature journal side, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with John Muir Laws, who I just think mm -hmm. is a fantastic resource um, for some of those tools that you can go out and apply and, and use in your nature journals. Um, on a personal note, there's an artist who really inspired me on the expeditionary art side of things named Tony Foster. And Tony Foster is from England. And uh, he's got a website you can look up. He has done these expeditions where in the field he's done massive, like four foot by six foot watercolor, just huge scale. And he'll collect little specimens or make notes on his pages of the colors and maps. And um, his process really inspired me. And I had the chance to meet him about 10 years ago. That was just delightful. And after I saw an exhibit of his, I sent him a letter and <laughs> got the chance to connect um and tony tony we chatted um i've got an interview on my my website i had with him and as we were chatting i said you know what was it like to start working bigger and he said well maria i 
really wanted to paint like Winslow Homer. And I thought if I could get a great big piece of paper, maybe I'll paint like Winslow Homer. So he got the biggest piece of paper he could and painted. And at the end, he said, you know, it looked just like Tony Foster, only bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and I think of his words often in that the more you do your practice, uh, you find your voice, you find the materials that resonate with you, you find the subject matter, and your voice and style starts to emerge out of that practice. And then whether it's on a small scale or you try going up to, to four by six feet, you'll you'll sort of feel out what that what that is for you. And and that's really beautiful and, and just feeling out, you know, what what do you like and what do you see and what do you notice? Yeah, I mean the world would be a very boring place if we all copied each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'm glad that we are all individuals and we each have our unique perspective and point of view. So I think sketching and and scientific study is one way that that kind of outworks. We all have our own set of questions about something. We all have our own history and how we make those ideas connect is different. And um, I'd like to share one more person in my life, um, Dallas, which was my first grade teacher in Seattle, a woman named Aki Kurose. And she was Japanese and her family had been interned in the internment camps um, around the, the war. And she lost everything as a young girl and came out of that experience instead of filled with anger as a just huge promote, uh, proponent of peace and peace and science and love and came out to be an elementary school teacher. Um, in fact, now that she's passed, there's a school in Seattle named after her. And I was, I was fortunate enough to have her as a teacher. And in her classes, she told me something that I've just never forgotten, which is a creative person is never bored. When you've got that creativity, and I might add a creative person is never boring as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. But that as long as you've got something with you, whether it's even your own internal activation of your senses or your, you know, your sketchbook or your palette and that chance just to connect and, and explore the world. It's sat with me as something that, you know, enriches your own world and can help bring us all together, be that be a point of connection. And I've always appreciated thinking about art and science and, and the love for the world and each other that can emerge out of it. Sure. Yeah. I agree. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing those two people that have made a special mark in your life. Um, before we wrap up here, I would love to talk a little bit more about maybe um, kind of what is your favorite thing in your line right now on Art Toolkit. <laughs> and we have a nice little discount for the listeners out there who would like to see if they can um, be helped by anything through Art Toolkit and anything that Maria's made. It's all wonderful, beautiful, high quality materials. But maybe what's one thing that you're really excited about right now? <laughs> well, I'm excited about everything and every new little thing <laughs> I come out with. I'm like, ooh, and I carry it around and play with it. Um, but I'll say out of our palette lineup, we um, about a year ago came out with the Demi pocket palette, which is our smallest palette. I sort of thought, can we go smaller? And it is just so cute. 
<laughs> so this little teeny tiny palette that can hold up to 12 colors. And we have a little tiny sketchbook made by Hannah Moulet called the Zigzag Book, which complements it perfectly. So if you really want truly a micro micro palette, you can take a mini water brush this little tiny pocket palette, which we sell a version filled with six paints and a little tiny zigzag book. And I promise you, it will take up minimal space in your purse, in your backpack, whatever you're carrying, even in your pocket. Um, and uh, I, I do sometimes, you know, small things are just so cute and fun to use at times. <laughs> I agree. I'm really smitten with those. <laughs> The one I carry all the time as well in my everyday carry is I carry a pocket art toolkit everywhere. And I always have um, a couple small palettes, a couple extra water brushes so I can share with my daughter or, um, um, you know, another another friend and, um, and my sketchbook. So that, that really comes with me everywhere. That's a really good point too, to just have some extra things with you because you don't know who's going to need it around you. You really don't know who's going to be interested in it. And it could be that first time that they ever get their hands on something incredible. Um, I, I had this experience when I just was out nature journaling in the old neighborhood that we lived in. We had this little neighborhood park and I'd take my kids out to play and I'd bring my sketchbook and I'd sit down to do a sketch and you would not imagine the crowd of like 13 year old girls that would form around me to just watch <laughs> and see what I was doing. So then next time I brought, brought out some extras and it's, it's been a good thing to have along with to just help someone be inspired by something they would not otherwise have with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for that, um, I'll often carry some little extra scrap kind of post postcard pieces of paper outside of my sketchbook. So I can just hand them, hand them out to, you know, whether it's my daughter or anyone else who might want to do a piece. I don't want to say no to anyone who just wants to play with art. And like you said, might be a moment to inspire. Totally. I love that little zigzag sketchbook I've seen on there. So here soon, I'm going to have to invest in that um, but yes, I'm excited to get the Jane Blundell set that you collaborated with. Yes, Her yes. I um, hope we have that. It's um, We have a limited quantity of those, so um, don't wait too long. And, um... I know. And sorry, guys, <laughs> by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be sold out. So that one's out. <laughs> you can just watch me on my Instagram channel just doodling with that one. <laughs> oh, no. We'll have to think uh, about re-releasing it. It's a great little yeah, maybe, just painting Maybe so. Today. <laughs> if you've listened to the episode this far you are probably very interested in getting yourself and your hands on some of these awesome art toolkit sets if you would like to do that go to art-toolkit.com browse through the inventory of wonderful and amazing things and then at your checkout use coupon code bestow15 that'll be b-e-s-t-o-w 15 and it'll give you a 15% off on any of the wares there. Well, this was so great to talk with you. I learned so much. I'm feeling inspired. I hope you all out there are inspired as well. Thanks for taking the time to come and talk on Bestowing the Brush, Maria. I so appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dallas. Hey, if you guys want to follow Maria and what she's doing online, please follow her website at art-toolkit.com. 
and expeditionaryart.com. She's also on Instagram as Expeditionary Art, Art Toolkit. And also, they have a really awesome newsletter. I've been on it for a couple weeks now. I'm really enjoying the content there. So please check her and her projects out. She is great to follow on there. What do you want to do with sketching? What is something that you can do with your new skills of observation, seeing, and putting that on paper? Right. I hope you have a good week of sketching this week. I will see you back here in one week. Bye, everyone.